0: I feel like I would be doing the the disabled community a disservice if I didn't advocate for us, you know because I have this growing platform, and because I am a good public speaker, um, it would be wrong of me to throw that away right.
1: Hi everybody, welcome back. This is The Meaning of Life. I'm Ryan Beck. And today we have a very special interview with Steve Way. Steve Way is an actor, a writer, a comedian, and he'll tell us much more about who he is today. Um, But he's also an advocate for people with disabilities in the United States. And so we get into that, we get into comedy, we get into entertainment, we get into life in general. It was a wonderful all around conversation. You probably know Steve from his role on Rami on Hulu. I've known Steve for a number of years now. We met at a stand-up show, became friends, and have kept in touch. Um, I'm, it was really nice to see him, to talk to him, and to just you know, get into these big topics with someone that uh, has a lot of perspective. And I think it's a really nice thing. So I hope everybody enjoys this interview. And without further ado, let's talk to Steve Way. I'm Ryan Beck, and this is The Meaning of Life. Can I start by asking you? Would you just say your name and who you are?
0: Hey, what's up? I'm Steve White. I am an actor, comedian, writer, uh, speaker, and uh, high school substitute teacher. And I have uh, muscular dystrophy.
1: Thank you. All right, that's great. That was uh, that's I think going to be like the hardest question to ask people, and also for them to answer because like it's like what that's so undefined. What are you making me do? I'm not sure if it's mean to even ask
0: people. <laughs> it, it is mean, but I like that.
1: You think it's mean to I ask like people that. who they are? Yes. Why?
0: I'm sorry, it's a very hard question to ask.
1: Yeah, I would. I was.
0: Well, it's hard to answer. It's very hard to answer. It
1: is. It is really hard to answer because it kind of like asks you to define yourself in this horrible way. And I don't want to do that to people, but I'm also like curious, you know, like I'm curious to how people think of themselves. And I'm finding a trend with the comedians that it's always professional stuff first. Like that's like the most important thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, what else do we have? Right. But I just, for me, the, the most obvious Say that I am is disabled. Yeah. Because I'm very clearly disabled. I'm like if you looked at me for the first time, you would think, Oh, he's gonna die like tomorrow. <laughs> but but when you strip that away, what am I? Right. And does my disability affect all that?
1: It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's like comedians we're all weird. We're all really weird people. But I have the privilege to be able to hide that when I walk into a room. No one knows that initially before I start to speak or even if I offer up that information. A lot of like what makes you different, well, not a lot, but some of what makes you different is physically appearing like a certain way. How does that make you feel to like enter a room and then appear different and know that, that your presence is, is, is um, you know, it, it takes people aback for a minute? I love it.
0: Really? Because I feel like every audience, I can start off with a clean slate. Yeah. And it also gives me the opportunity um, to educate people. You know, not, not just about my life, but just what is like being disabled in America. Right. Um, you know, because a lot of my jokes are, they're, they're absurd, but they're real. You know, like when I tell people that if, if I have, if I have like more, no, no, I'm sorry. If I tell people every four months, someone from my health insurance provider comes to my house to make sure I'm still disabled, <laughs> yes, that's hilarious, <laughs> but it's true. It's also very true. Yeah. And nobody knows that. No. You know, nobody knows that if I have more than $2,000 in my bank account, I losing my Social Security. Again, it's absurd, but it's real.
1: It is. It is. Com- that is completely absurd, and that's something that I would never have known if I didn't yes. ask you to do this Zoom right now. Yes,
0: but also, the, the other fun thing is that, like, when I come out, people don't even know if I can speak. So, I come out, I start telling jokes, and then if I say, like, oh, I'd rather be dead, and they start droning, and I'm like, oh, my God, you fucking liberals. <laughs> like, you guys are going to kill me. I'm like, then I just really have fun with that. Right.
1: That's so – this is what I really love about this. I mean, you've you've kind of, like – have the ability to undercut the enormity of life and purpose and all these questions that have been driving me personally crazy and I think a lot of people just in general um you know with the fear of death and identity and all this stuff just with humor did that come naturally to you is that like a um you know I became funny so I didn't get my ass kicked you know it was like a defense mechanism is it like a defense mechanism for you is it trying to make other people feel comfortable what is it that like being funny has done for you and where do you think it came from
0: it's all of that i ever since i was a kid i've used comedy as a trophy mechanism for my disability getting worse um uh, you know like if my shoe was untied, yes yeah. people would say like oh steve you will retire your shoe and i would say like why is that like i'm gonna walk on trip on it <laughs> But, but everybody was in on the joke, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: So the older I got, the more, I think, self-aware I became of my disability, but also my sense of humor.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, because I've always had friends growing up. You know, I, I'm so lucky to say that I didn't have friends or that, you know, like, yes, of course I had bullies. But, you know, it was never like this huge problem in my life. So being close friends with Rami Youssef and you know him and I knowing each other for almost 20 years now, I feel like our talents evolved with each other. And we were able to uh, work with each other so much. And he really pushed me to get into stand of comedy. Um and doing that for over 10 years now. I I've, I've really found my voice doing stand-up. Um and just knowing people like you in the comedy season always always having friends there to just lift me up.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, it's been super rewarding. I must ask you if I may. Please. Going back to what we were talking about with you know, me in front of a new audience. What was your reaction the first time we met and did a show together?
1: Um, my first reaction. Well, I knew who you were prior to going there because it was part of a in New Jersey. It was part of a benefit.
0: Um, we we met through John and Rami. Right? Yeah,
1: I met through John Braylock, was who invited me out there, and that's when I met Rami and I met. um John and, um, Kyle and, you know, all the, the guys that were doing that with you, um, my first reaction, I was like a little bit taken aback because I, I didn't want to do anything wrong, you know? And I think that maybe you've, you encountered that a lot with people when you first meet them, but it's like, I was hyper aware to be like, to, because I don't want, I never want to feel this way when I'm in a room, but to be ignored or to be um, uh, not acknowledged or something like that. And so I was trying to be very aware of that. And, and that was mostly because like, I want to, this is how I want to treat everybody is how to be, is to be polite and courteous. But with you, I think I was hyper aware of like, not, of not um, accidentally being rude or something like that. But then like, you were so warm and easy to talk to that it like relieved a lot of pressure for me. Do you, so how did that, how did that, how does that make you feel when I say that? But also is the relief and like the, you being warm to people that you're just meeting something that you do for yourself or do you think you're doing it for others or like, where does that come from?
0: I'm definitely doing it for others.
1: Um,
0: Let me give, let me give this example. Whenever I started a new class in college, the first day of the semester, the room was always filled, except for the seat next to mine. The seat next to mine was always empty. And I always expected that. And not because people were just scared of me, but they were just scared to just talk to me. Yeah. Same reasons that you said, but the more that I broke broke the ice, and the more that I opened up to people, the easier it was for them, to get closer for me. And I don't blame them.
1: Doesn't that make you angry? That, like in some way. no,
0: no, no. It's not their fault. It makes me angry at the media for their perception and how they portray people like me Mm -hmm. because again they portray people like me as people who can't speak or or we just want to die you know so i i I can't blame them i can't fault them for that because if they don't have somebody like me in their life they're not going to know
1: that you so, right, that you're intelligent, and that you enjoy things, and that you get inspired by things, and excited, yes. and all the same emotions that everybody has. So i've
0: I've learned and accepted from such an early age that it's up to me to get closer to people first.
1: That that's so There's, frustrating. But I, I, I
0: get it though I get it I. I know that not everyone's going to have that knowledge mm-hmm. and I can't expect them to, which is not wrong on my part. Right. You know, I, I well, there are times where people have asked me to do their show, mostly at UCB and I couldn't do it because I couldn't get in.
1: Yeah. The sta- the, Cause they didn't have a, a, a ramp or uh, elevator.
0: But I can fault the people in charge who refused to give me the accommodations that I asked for just because they were just straight up ignorant and lazy.
1: A big part of a lot of the people that we know, a lot of people, I mean, it's not only comedians, it's people across the board have str- struggle with identity issues and they struggle with trying to find their place. Which is in a large part why I wanna like try to I wanna ask these questions of people. You've kind of been dealt a hand that like like you wear your, your identity outwardly and basically you've kind of been forced to be an advocate and a pioneer for disabled people. Is that something that you wanted? Is that some, how does that make you feel to to kind of have to play that role? Do you feel or do you have to play that role? Do you feel obligated to do that? What is that like?
0: I've been public speaking for more than two thirds of my life. You know, I've been working with disability organizations since I was about nine years old. Yes, I feel obligated, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like a chore. Um I feel like I would be doing the the disabled community a disservice. If I didn't advocate for us, you know, because I have this growing platform and because I am a good public speaker, um, it would be wrong of me to throw that away. Right. And to not use that to advance us.
1: And, and to be clear, like you've been speaking because you had the talent, not because you had a platform. It was kind of like you found you had a talent and felt obligated to share your story to make life easier on other people who have disabilities. Yes. And also people who don't have disabilities and
0: how to interact with Just yes. be normal, just chill out. The, 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 talent, the talent definitely came first, mm-hmm. but now that I'm getting this destroy platform, I, I have to use it. I, I have to take advantage of it because if I wasn't trying to reach a more national and global audience, that I, I would be doing a service to people in this and around the world.
1: Right. Do you feel... This is such a strange question because, I don't know... Do you feel in, like, a way that, because you have this purpose that has been kind of, you know, partly it's come natural to you through your talent, but it's partly been forced upon you, do you feel in some ways lucky to have, like, a a purpose, like a pretty defined purpose? And if you don't feel that you have a defined purpose, then, you know, tell me that too.
0: No, I think my purpose is to, is to educate people, is to change perceptions, and in turn, to use that to make our lives better and easier. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like how I mentioned before about... How I can only have two thousand dollars in my bank account, or I lose my health insurance, or my uh, my Social Security. You know that happens too. Um, if I were to get married, these are rules and regulations that have not changed since the nineteen sixties, right? You know, but because people forgot about them, you know, did you the politicians really have something like that on the top of their mind? No, so I have to make that.
2: Right.
0: I uh, have to make that at the top of their mind. I have to remind them of this. Um. So yeah, I I definitely, I definitely feel like that's my purpose. That's great. Um. But it, again, it's also to just make people aware that's what we go through. Yeah. Going back to what I said before about the media's perception and how the media portrays us, when people watch movies about disabled people, and they're never played by disabled actors, but when they see movies of a disabled person where they just want to kill themselves, that translates into real life. And that makes it harder for us to just get the bare minimum sales that we need to survive.
2: Right.
0: So it starts at the very base level of how, of our just our stories and what stories are told. And for us being able to tell our own stories. Just in, in Hollywood, that's half the battle.
1: Yeah, just to be represented in writers' rooms. Yep. Not even on camera. Yeah. You know, when,
0: when, when Robbie pitched and wrote my character, the first question he got was, who's going to play Steve? So I had to prove
1: yeah.
0: that I was good enough to play myself.
1: That's so crazy, and also doesn't surprise me at all. Like I
0: no nope. no, nope.
1: I can't imagine you're surprised. To, you were surprised to encounter that. You were just like, yeah, of no, course. No, I'm no, no, I was. To, yeah. Oh
0: yeah. I, I was expecting it absolutely.
1: And then of course, like you delivered, and you've become, in reference to that show, like uh, you know, some a lot of people's favorite part of the show. Um, people are gravitating towards you and you've developed this platform and it's just been like a breath of fresh air. So that's really, it's really cool. I mean, part of you has to be like, hell yeah, of course that's what was going to happen if you put me on TV, right? There has to be some ego there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I was confident in knowing that it would, it, it, it would land, it would land. Uh, with with the audience
1: that's great that's really great when i first saw the show i didn't know anything about it and i didn't know that you were in it even because i saw it at south by southwest when it when you know he was down there in texas premiering and stuff and i was so excited i was alone in this movie theater and, like, with other people around that I didn't know. And I was just so genuinely excited and warmed. And I, like, I felt like I could, like, run a mile, like, just, like, through a brick wall. Like, I was so excited after seeing that.
0: I mean, dude, I'm...
1: God, man. I,
0: I, I still feel that way about just everyone that I've grown up doing comedy with. Yeah. You know, you, Josh... Jermaine, Kevin, John, just Michelle, yeah. Joe, all those people. I mean, they're, they're family. Yeah.
1: It's just, you know, and I
0: know I would not have gotten where I am today without all those people. I'm just listening to them, I'm doing comedy with them, um, and them just supporting me throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it, it's so uplifting. And and I'd like to think that i have you know, I'm doctor where I am with the help of everybody else.
1: Yeah, I've always I've always tried to you know keep in my mind and live live this way as a principle. But like I firmly believe that life is a team game. I think it's something that we have to help each other out, which is a reason I want to even do this podcast because I think that like the um, you know there's some kind of hearing other people's stories and reflecting it in your own life is such a great way to connect with people and understand each other and then learn something about yourself at the same time. I hope I hope that's what we can I can do here. Um, but it's it's mostly because I want people to feel that there is some kind of meaning to all this or or to find their purpose because I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who don't feel like they have a purpose. Um, or they don't know where to look for it or how to change their circumstances. I'm not saying everybody needs to become an entertainer. I just mean in general, like, there are people that don't feel like they have a higher calling or, like, something to work on or that they feel passionate about. What what do you say to those people? Like, do you have words of advice? Do you have, like...
0: There's no deadline for it.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: There's no deadline to find your passion or your purpose. Um, you know, I, I found that out early on. Um, you know, I, I had a near-death experience when I was 14. And, you know, that that really made me change my perception of life and just what life means. Um, so I feel like I did that at such a young age. Um, and, you know, after that, constantly being told by, by my doctors. That you know, you're probably gonna die tomorrow, but tomorrow never came. Mm-hmm. So, I it made me realize that there, there, there is a deadline, you know, to find that thing in your life that you love, and, and it's a change, too. You know, if you think you found it, that's great, but if it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean you failed,
1: right? You just have to be open to. There's, to
0: yep, shifting. Not to change. Well, what yes.
1: about? All right, you've talked in other interviews about that, specifically about the near death experience, but on the in the wake of that, what is the change that you mentioned? Like prior, did you feel like? How did you feel prior to that, and then how did you feel after? What was what was the
0: change? Well, it, it maybe confirmed that life just truly was too short, and that everything could happen at any different time. So I had to make sure that I was happy in life, and I realized that I wasn't. So, um, you know, I, I had to make changes to make sure that I was happy, but I also wanted to make sure that I had strong connections in my life,
1: Friendship. With other people, and yeah, and... yeah,
0: because it, made, it really made me realize that um, I I wouldn't be where I am today without the other people in my life, and I mean that I mean that emotionally and physically. Yeah, physically, I'd be dead without other people. Mentally, I don't think I would be as stable as I am today without the connections I have.
1: Do you think it was like a a In the wake of your your near-death experience, do you think it was like a – was it a feeling of gratitude for what you do have or what you could create in life? Is that what it is?
0: I think it was one part gratitude, but it was also one part fear.
1: Fear. Yeah,
0: because I was 14 years old. Right. I literally came within five minutes of dying. Like, you think about five minutes. Mm -hmm. That's, That's Nothing. Nothing. And to me, that really put things into perspective. Um, and at the time, I felt like I was on borrowed time and I was on the clock.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that way I was almost like forced to make a change. And I haven't yet concluded if that was good or not, but it worked.
1: The feeling of, of being on on the clock.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's right. I Steve, I think that a lot of people feel that way. I like whether they have a disability or not, I think like I certainly feel that way. I think, um, about this all the time. I'm like, I want to, uh, even in professional ways, people set benchmarks for themselves to achieve things that by certain ages, um, to get married by a certain age to, I think that a lot of us feel like we're on the clock. I don't know if that's, um, that yeah, might
0: just it's be a human thing. It, no, it definitely is, but it's erotic. Yeah,
1: it's definitely. I, uh, it's definitely uh, Yeah, ironic. no, I
0: know. You know, I, I've also, I've always been just terrified of death, and I realize it's because I'm I'm not comfortable in my accomplishments yet. But it it took the pandemic it made me feel more comfortable with death and just knowing that I have no control Yeah, that I should to get this virus and I have to be dead three days later <sighs> there is absolutely nothing I can do about that
2: right
1: a lot of people will but, make jokes about um, the virus or getting it or whatever but for you it literally is a life or death thing because it's you're as high risk as you're who they talk about when you they say high risk
0: well i think the important thing that we've realized is that it doesn't matter if it's me or you right the virus doesn't care it could be any of us right sure. so it's i i think it's important to keep that in mind but i i've used that so to I to motivate myself to just do as much stuff as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel now I'm as motivated as I've ever been. that has made me the most productive I've ever been.
1: What do you think of so, the fear? Um,
0: is that what's motivating I, you? Or is it? it it's, it's never the fear. But now things are as accessible as they've ever been.
1: So, I, I feel like
0: I have to use that to my advantage.
1: Mm-hmm. So, I have a question about everything you're telling me is very, it's very inspirational. It's very nice to hear and it sounds like, I mean, obviously you've had a lot of hardships in your life and you, and I'm sure that not every single time that you've faced something like that you've had, you know, the perspective that you have now or like the positive attitude or like being able to just remember what's important and what you value. So how do you, when you do feel like shit, how do you dig yourself out of that? How do you change, how do you get back to being on the level? Because I know that
0: there are people out there who have it even worse. (laughs) I I think that's all relative. Like, Like we all have our own problems. Yeah. And you may not know what it's like to go through, what I've gone through. But I'm sure there are things in your life that I have not gone through. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean our problems are any worse. They're all problems. Or any better? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're not. We're not playing the oppression Olympics here. <laughs> you know, they're all relative. The only thing that I ask is that you understand what my problems are and that you empathize with me.
1: Yeah. That's so important. I think empathy is really something I've I have made a joke about this before, but I think that they actually should teach it in schools. I I don't think that's as crazy of an idea as uh, maybe it sounds to some people, but I feel like no, they have I, to tell people
0: to that's try. that's probably the bare minimum of what they should teach in school.
1: It's just to care for other people
0: it's so basic but we don't we just we don't have it Mm -hmm. and i think the world would be a lot better off for it
1: right now the podcast is you know with the hope of finding the meaning of life right and i know that's very lofty and i also am not like so crazy to think that there's one answer for everybody you know i think it's something that's really personal to each person um I'm finding that a big recurring theme is about, not even about someone, as like themselves, it's about connecting with other people. Do you think that there is like, on whole, life has any meaning? Or are we just all kind of like, going through this, trying to grab onto other people and connect while we're here?
0: I think it's relative. But I, I truly think, that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that we really need to stick together to uplift each other.
1: Because it's so scary.
0: Everything. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just look at our health system. Yeah. You know, the the, the most popular... Form of health insurance is do fund me. Yeah. You know, if only we had GoFundMe fund me on a national scale. Mm-hmm. But don't fund me proves that we can do it.
1: Yeah. And that if you, if you
0: frame it the right way,
1: and that people do care about other people's issues. It's heavy, man. Um, it's heavy. You think it's heavy? Do you think this is heavy?
0: Yes, because people don't take the time to really think about this stuff. That's why everyone's so depressed and miserable. Well, was also because the government everything sucks. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. I think people really need to take the time to just understand what they have in life.
1: Yeah, instead of what they don't have. Yeah, I think that's really true. I was I was worried starting this podcast that it was going to be heavy or it was going to be seen as some kind of cry for help. Um, you know, but it, it feels like a cry for help. You think? You're yeah. Right, Ryan. When I emailed you, did you think it was like do, Ryan's? Do, do you want to talk?
0: Do you want to talk, Ryan?
1: Yeah, well, here we are, Steve. I'm asking you everything I can think of.
0: Yeah. <laughs> for me, okay. <laughs> When I was in the second grade, I remember I did, I did like a report on Lou Gehrig. And my my father suggested I do it on him. And that was the first time I ever really learned of someone famous who was also disabled. It was him and Stephen Hawking who were really like the first two for me. And I remember learning about Lord Harry and about his speech. And, you know, he starts off saying, uh, you know, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And this was a guy who was the best at what he did. He was the guy, he was number one. Mm-hmm in the entire world at what he did. And very few people can say that. And one day it all ended. And he's saying how he considers himself the largest man on the face of the earth. And you're like, how could he feel that way? But then he goes on to talk about the fans, his teammates, his family the Yankees organization, and how all that meant to him. And all of that gave him a reason to keep fighting. And he ends his speech by saying, I've been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. And I was like two years old, and I had no idea what that meant. But then I remember it was the, what, the 70th or the 75th anniversary of his speech. It was July 4th, 1939. And I was at that Yankee game of the anniversary. A Major League Baseball played the speech at every game. And they played the video. And I just started sobbing because it finally hit me.
1: Yeah.
0: I totally understood what that meant. And it stuck with me ever since. It's
2: that- and I was like,
0: yeah, I, I have muscular dystrophy. I need a machine to help me breathe. I I can't get into any building I want to. I can't do things certain other people can do, but I have a family, I have a girlfriend, I have friends like you, I have comedy. And I said, yeah, that all makes it worth living.
1: That's so good. <laughs> like, just instill uh-huh, celebrity uh-huh. here. That's like such a powerful realization and an amazing way to communicate that, Steve. And that's how I
0: end my my motivational talk about overcoming adversity. Mm-hmm. Because he knew that there was so much more to life.
1: Wait, you were running a bit? You were doing a bit on me?
0: I'm doing a bit on you, man. <laughs> a bit. Son of a bitch. Because he... I knew there was so much more than just baseball.
1: Yeah, it's the love, it's the outpouring from from other people, and and having a a place in the in the herd, right? Like among other people. Wait, do you do you th- ever think about like legacy? Does that matter to you? Like in some ways, it has to, right? If it can impact change for the future, but like beyond real change that's going to help another person later, do you have like? hope for a legacy of of your own, you know? Like is there an ego component to that? Yeah.
0: And I don't know if that's healthy or not. I don't I think everybody
1: feels this way in some ways.
0: If if I could change one person's perspective and perception, I think I did my job. You know, I don't know how to quantify it. Mm-hmm. If it's getting my own show, if it's getting laws changed, I don't know how to quantify that. But yeah, if I just change one person's mind, I'm that—that feels good enough.
1: Something, something that lasts. Else, yeah, like a, even if uh, an impression of that someone has of disabled people. Yeah, and, and everything else
0: after that. It just feels extra.
1: That's great. That's really great. Well, I don't know. I think I'm out of questions. We can just chat now, or you can, you know, do whatever. I, I don't know. I'm just like really over. I should leave on
0: a high note, huh? I, yeah, I should leave on a high note. You going to get better than this.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's great.
0: <laughs> well, I'm to quit while i ahead, you know.
1: Yeah, Steve, it's such a, it's so nice to talk to you and to see you. I'm like, you, I'm still you. one of these I, morons that's just like amazed by Zoom. That like it's that like you can see people through the computer.
0: I'm gonna be man. I'm, I'm so over Zoom. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of Zoom, dude. I, I did faces and I, I got the first shot of the vaccine. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm so close.
1: Yeah, you're really close.
0: I'm so close to just like feeling better. In, in what I, sense? i for it.
1: Emotionally better? Yes, and
0: mentally better. Mm-hmm. Knowing that if I just go out and leave my house, I'm not going to get this virus that should, you know, fucking decimate me in, like, two days.
1: Did they do the, did, you had to go somewhere to get the vaccine, though, right? Did you have to, like, be in a line of people? Yay. And... Yeah, I had
0: to drive, uh, I had to drive down to Trenton. Oh,
1: jeez. I mean,
0: I, I don't care, man. As long as I got it, it's mm-hmm. great. I'll take it. Yeah.
1: Steve, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you.
1: I hope um I get uh, to see. Thank you for having you me. In person this calendar year, that's my goal. <laughs> It'll happen. Good.
0: It'll happen. I think that's a good goal.
1: Good. Thanks, buddy. I yep. really appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Awesome, man. Thank you. Much love. All right. Love you too. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, head to patreon.com slash Ryan Beck and follow me at at I am Beck on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Falling in Love with My Wife, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks. The Meaning of Life is produced by Ryan Beck, edited by Ryan Beck, and the music is by Shakir Stanley. Thanks for listening.